We come to the end of the book of Malachi, and the end of our series in the book of Malachi. And it's been my desire as we've gone through Malachi to to look at the main theme of Malachi. Malachi's main theme is the worship of God and how the the people in Malachi's day were being lackadaisical with the worship of God. They treated God as in a very contemptible way. And as we get to the end of this book, uh, to chapter 4, God is dealing with those who are prideful, who are saying that it is vain and useless to serve God. They would still have the outward uh, practices of serving God, but really didn't impact much in, in their lives. It was just an outward form. It was just a, a cultural thing. The thought of many is in this day and age that it is unnecessary and vain to serve God fully, to dedicate oneself completely. I was talking with a brother yesterday on the way uh, as I was traveling back to London, and he was telling me of a, a gentleman that is a member in a, or that attends the church where he is ministering and this gentleman he says he's not a Christian although he comes to church his wife is a Christian uh, although he comes to church even when his wife does not uh, or is sick and cannot come to church uh, he does still come and I found that weird and I, I inquired further of this friend and he said well I spoke with him and he said that he's he doesn't want to be one of those Christians. That when, he, when the Lord does touch his heart, he understands that he wants to be one of those fiery hot Christians. That's why he doesn't call himself a Christian yet. But he's inquiring of. Because he understands that to be a disciple of Christ, it's an all-out, all-in kind of attitude. And I wonder if we understand that today. Maybe we understood it back uh, when we first were saved by the Lord. But I wonder if we have devolved and declined, downgraded into the kind of mentality that thinks that being a Christian is, uh, is something that can be a... Uh, just uh, something that is tacked on into the, uh, an aspect of our lives. That we can be something else than a, than a red-hot Christian, as this man said. This was the state of mind of the Jews in Malachi's day. This was how they thought it to be. We're Jews. 
fine. It doesn't need to impact the rest of our lives. If we want to go and have adulterous relationships and forsake the wives of our youth, it's fine. If we want to be lackadaisical with our worship of God, it's fine. It's, it's completely fine. We're still Jews, but we just don't, we're not the fiery hot red ones. Um, and that's why the Lord sent Malachi to them. That's why the Lord sent the prophet to them, to warn them, to warn them that the Lord is not to be played with, that the day is coming, that even though they think that the Lord uh, repays, does not repay evil, does not condemn evil, even though they say that it is a vain and useless thing to serve the Lord, that the day is coming, the Lord says to them through the prophet Malachi, the day is coming where the distinction will be made, where the righteous and the wicked will be distinguished by the awful judgments that fall on, the, on one and the wonderful rewards that come to the other. It shall come to pass on that time that God will surge Jerusalem with lamps, Zephaniah says, and punish the men who are settled in complacency. Who say in their heart, the Lord will, do not go, will not do good, nor will he do evil. There comes a time when the Lord will come and visit this world and punish the men who are settled in complacency. So the words before us in this chapter are the words, are two words actually. We have a warning for the wicked and we have a promise of reward for the righteous we are told that there is a day coming a day burning like an oven like a furnace a day that the Lord will come and judge in flames of fire The day when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, Paul says, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished, Paul continues, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There is coming a day when the earth the theater, the stage where all of this wickedness was committed, that this earth will be burned up. And the objects of God's displeasure will be cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The cowardly, John says in Revelation 21, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderous, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters and liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, brimstone, which is the second death. It is a terrible fact. And if you think it, hell is only going to be, uh, it's only atheists that are going to be in hell, you're, going to, you're wrong. There are going to be a lot of people who are religious in hell. People who are complacent. People who were, who were lukewarm, who actually never feared the Lord, who dealt wickedly. It is a terrible fact that this day is coming. 
And it is a warning for us all, believers and unbelievers alike, especially if you're an unbeliever. It is a, a day where punishment will come with fire. Fire. Destructive fire. Irresistible, devouring fire. A fire that cannot be resisted. I remember when I was uh, uh, back in Portugal many years ago. I, don't th I think I was still back there. I went to visit a family, uh, some friends. And this was middle of August, July, August. was middle of summer. And in Portugal we have um, seasonal fires. It's kind of like when you hear the news, California, Australia. Portugal also, you get to the summer, it's fire season. Fires break out everywhere and, and it's a terrible thing to see. And as we were in this friend's house, uh, we could see fires in the horizon, smoke plum, plumes in the horizon. But then a fire broke out in the village or in the, the locality where his house was. And as often the case in this situation everyone joins in because there's not enough firefighters and fire trucks in the in, in the in the world to to stop these kind of fires so it's the villagers it's the the local residents that go and as you're fighting the fire there with buckets of water branches trying to put out the fire doing your best at least to direct the fire away from the houses and the and the the terrible reaction of the people whose houses are coming under the threat of being devoured by the fire with tears in their eyes seeing their livelihoods be taken away you realize that you cannot stop it it's, it rolls onwards you might stop this small thing here but it, if it's going the devouring fire just goes and goes and goes there's really no stopping it this is what the word of God says about the eternal fire of hell. It is a devouring fire. It is irresistible. You may try to put it out, but it will never be put out. There is no resisting or escaping it. None can resist or escape it in the day of judgment. Because it is coming. It's irresistible and it is eternal. And the sad that's how the, the awesome thing is that everyone who's going to perish in this, in this eternal, irresistible fire will know in their hearts that the, the punishment that they are facing is a just punishment. There will be no one in the hell who is going to raise their fist at God and say, you're being unjust, you're, being, you're punishing me too harshly. Everyone at once will know, because it will be put in their hearts, that the punishment that they go through is a righteous punishment, a just punishment. No one will charge God of injustice or cruelty there. Who ends up in hell? We are told in this passage that it is those who are proud. Yes, all who do wickedly. Those who have despised in their pridefulness 
the, the warnings of Scripture. Those who have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Those who have established their own righteousness. Those who are proud and think, oh, the, the, God, God says this, but actually I think this, and I'm going to do it my way. God knows your heart. The proud will be doomed to hell. Those who exalt themselves above God, those who insult and, and blaspheme against God, those who serve and yield to Satan, those who grieve the Holy Spirit, those who are proud will be sent to hell. We're told that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And those who do wickedness, I would suggest to you here that those who do wickedness, if you think of a, a tree, pridefulness is the root, is the tree, wickedness is the fruit of the tree. Because you're proud, you do wickedly. Because you're proud, you disregard God's word. You do not observe God's law. You do not walk by it. You do not embrace Christ's gospel because you're proud. I don't need this gospel to tell me I'm a sinner. Who does the preacher think he is? Who does the, the, the Christian think he is to tell me I'm a sinner? I don't need to embrace. I, I, I don't want to embrace. That's wickedness. And it is wickedness to say that you don't need to flee for refuge at the coming of this great burning day. We're told that they shall be as stubble, that they, there will be no root nor branch left. What it tells me when I see this is that it will be a destruction, destruction that is complete. When there is no branch left, when there is no root left, there is no hope left. I'm not very uh, knowledgeable with agriculture, but it's my understanding that if there's still a root present and if the root is alive, there is still hope for that uh, plant to be resurrected, to be uh, uh, brought back. When the Lord says that there is no root left, that there will be as stubble, he says it's destruction, complete. There is no hope left. It is eternal doom. And it should cause us, it should cause us to tremble in the presence of the Lord to think of this day. Here is the almighty king of creation in all his power, in all his omnipotence, in all his majesty. But yet his majesty on that day to those who are proud and wicked will, be not, uh, will not be... Uh, seasoned with the mercy that so often we see in these days. It will not be, His Majesty will not have, will come and will have no mercy. His power will be displayed, but no pity or compassion there. How fearsome, how fearful is, uh, an author said, 
A commentator says, How fearsome his divine majesty, stripped of mercy. How dreadful his omnipotence, when there is no pity. How direful of judgment, his judgment, when there is no compassion. Will we not take the warning? Will we not heed to the warning of scripture? Will we not say that I need to think about this? Just because you don't think about it, it doesn't mean that it is not coming. Every week, every day that goes by, every hour, every minute, every second brings this day closer. closer. And it's not because you're uh, unaware and it's not because you put it in the back of your mind because you, you stash it away, you suppress it in unrighteousness. It's not going to go away. It's not going to come any slower. The day is coming. So we need to be persuaded that the day is coming in order to prepare for it. And the glorious promise that we are given is that if we are persuaded that a day is coming and if we are prepared for it, it is not a day of dreadfulness. It is a day of reward. It is a day that we welcome. If you're a Christian, this day is not a day for you to be fearful. It is a day for you to look forward to. In fact, that is the only thing that you want in this life. Because in this day we are promised, but to you who fear my name, but to you who are fiery red hot, to you who are not proud, to you who are humble, to you who do not do wickedly, to you who have been cleansed and have been robed with the robes of white robes of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, to you the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, it is a day of reward. It is a day of glory. It is a day of victory, of liberty, of freedom, and of life. To you who fear my name, to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with salvation, with healing in his wings. The righteous man's greatest reward is God himself. Isn't it? When you think of the coming of the Lord, does that produce a, a sense of expectation? Or that does, does that produce a sense of, of dread? Are you living your life with an eye set on eternity? You might be looking, uh, you have one eye set on the things of this world. Because you need to work, you need to, to, to care for your family, you, need to, you have the cares of this world, yes. But is one of your eyes set firmly on eternity, waiting for that great and glorious day? And are you able to say with Paul to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Do you see heaven as your gain? Do you see the great coming of the Lord as your gain? Because for the believer, the true believer, the, those who fear the name of the Lord, it is a great and glorious day. It is a day that the Son of Righteousness will shine forth 
in much power, in all power. It is a day that God will be our everlasting life, as, as the psalmist says, when God will truly be and finally and completely be our sun and our shield. It is the day when darkness and fear will never be present again, where sin will be taken away, where, the, where the, 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 even the, the smallest parts of our heart that still struggle with sin will be finally consumed. It is the day that we shall be as He is. It is the day when we will be with Christ completely. When we shall shine with Him like the sun in the firmament. We shall be as He is. It is a day of freedom. We read that you you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves in in the New King James version. I'm not super. Uh, I'm not uh, fully uh, satisfied with this translation. Let me give you a translation by John Calvin. When he translated this verse, he says that the Son of Righteousness shall arise, shall rise to you who fear my name, and with healing in his wings. And this is the part where where I prefer. Calvin's translation here. And you will go forth and leap like well-fed or fattened young bulls. You shall go out and jump. Is the, there's a, the word here says. You shall go out and jump like calves that have let, leapt out of the stall. The day of judgment will be for the righteous, the day of freedom. The day that we will jump forth like calves when, when true joy and true blessedness and true happiness, unspeakable joy, unspeakable blessedness, unspeakable happiness will be ours. And yet we remain so, so indifferent to, that, to it. Is this a day that you lo- look forward to? Because it will be like that in the day of the second coming. The day of the coming of our Lord Jesus. It will be a day of exaltation. It will be a, a day when we enter into glory. It will be a day when we take possession of the inheritance. And it will be a day that we will enter the Father's house. The New Jerusalem. The, 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 the marriage feast or supper of the Lamb. It will be a day of rejoicing. That we will go out and jump like calves. Freedom, true freedom. And finally, it will be a day of victory as well. We are told that in this day, it is the day that you shall trample the wicked. For there shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. It is in this day that those who fear the Lord will receive deliverance, not only deliverance from imprisonment, full freedom, but also complete triumph over their enemies. The same wicked that have oppressed us, the same wicked that have oppressed the people of God through the ages, who have made lives bitter, 
will be ashes under the feet of those who fear the Lord. We are told by, by Paul that the church will not only be in heaven, but the church will be in a sit on thrones and judge the world. And I'm not going to go into the details of what those things mean, but God will repay. God will vindicate. God will be just and his justice will, be, will shine forth. And his justice will be severe on those who oppress the people of God. On those dictators in governments uh, in, in Asia and in, in North Africa who have uh, those leaders who have brought so much strife to the people of God. They will be ashes under the feet of those they oppressed. The idea just of the wicked crumbling into ashes under the feet of the righteous, of, the, of those who fear the Lord, is the idea of total victory. So I've told you, there's a warning here and there's a promise of reward here. What are we to do with it? What are, what are we to do with his warnings and with his uh, with his promise of reward Paul, uh, Paul Malachi apologies says that we are to remember he gives the final warnings in verse 4 5 and 6 remember the law of Moses my servant which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments so before the final verdict, before the day of judgment, God warns everyone through the word, through his word. And we must remember that the purpose of his law, the purpose of the Old Testament, the purpose of scripture was to point us to Christ. To lead us to Christ, to prepare us for the coming of Christ. Before the bowls of wrath are poured out, God blows the trumpets of, of warning. And the only way to prepare for that great day is to remember his word. To heed to it. To obey it. And yet we live in a time when the word of God is despised. When the word of God is dis, uh, replaced when the God, word of God is openly disobeyed, when the word of God is being preached, we, we turn a deaf ear and we're thinking about all the things that are happening in our lives in this week to come. Hear the, the warning of God once again. Remember the law of Moses. Remember my word. Before the final verdict, before the last day, God warns everyone through his instruments. He says not only, he did not only send his uh, his word, he did not only give his word, he sent uh, Elijah, the prophet. He commissioned a minister. Behold, I will send Elijah, the prophet. He shall turn the hearts of the, the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. In history, the Lord sent John the Baptist. To prepare the way of the Lord. To call the people to repentance. John the Baptist came in the power of Elijah. 
but I'll say this, in every period of history ever since, the Lord sends many in the power of Elijah. God sends messengers to call the people to repentance before judgment comes. In the 16th century, he sent Luther, he sent Calvin, he sent John Knox. In the 18th century, Elijah came in by Wesley and Whitfield and by uh, uh, Wedwards. Today, the Lord still sends Elijahs. Every pulpit where the word of God is faithfully preached, every time a Christian believer speaks uh, to an unbeliever and warns him of the day to come and tells him you need to prepare yourself, he is coming, that person is acting in the power of, the, of Elijah, is being that Elijah to that person. So let me draw a few conclusions. And as I spoke to, as I spoke to, of two headings, a warning and a, a, a promise of blessing, let me address those who are under the curse. Let me first address those who perhaps this day of judgment coming will be a day of darkness instead of a day of light. The day of judgment will be for you a day of terror. There are only two groups of people in this world. Those who are saved and those who are not. Those who are prepared to meet the Lord and those who are not. Those who are found or those who are lost. We say that the day of judgment will be a day of vindication of God's righteousness. You might think that that day will never come. But when the day comes, those who apparently had a good life, those who enjoy their good, best life here and now, those who were apparently prosperous here, will find that this was the closest that they've been to heaven. Because the day that it comes, when the day comes, it will be merciless. So the question I have, which path will you choose? The path of blessing or the path of curse? The path of life or the path of death? The path of eternal bliss or of eternal judgment? The Old Testament ends by saying that Jesus is coming. And the New Testament begins by saying that Jesus has come. The Old Testament ends with a, a threat of curse. And the New Testament ends with grace for the redeemed. The Old Testament closes the curtains of the, uh, with, a small, with a solemn word, a curse. Last word of the Old Testament. But the New Testament ends the drama of history in Revelation 22. Speaking of the day or the time that there will be no more curse. There shall be no more curse in heaven. What makes the difference is that Jesus died on the cross. He became a curse 
for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. So if you're under the curse, now is the time to surrender your life. Now is the time to trust in him. Let me address the believers. Let me address you as a church. The Lord sent John the Baptist as the Elijah the prophet. That was John's mission to the world. To bear witness of Christ. To turn men to God and to prepare them for the coming of Christ. That was the mission. He was the voice that cried out in the wilderness, making straight the ways of the Lord. These are the two great missions of the church. It's one mission, if if I'm being honest. But this is the mission of the church, to go in the same way as John the Baptist went, to convert men to God. He shall turn many to the Lord their God, was said of John, and to prepare men for Christ and the coming of, of Christ. He went before the face of the Lord, John the Baptist, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to them for the remission of their sins. Isn't that the gospel ministry? Isn't that the church's ministry? Isn't that how you are to be a fiery, red-hot Christian in this world, to be like John the Baptist? To preach Christ crucified. To bring into the, into the eyes of all, behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that your job? Isn't that your responsibility? (laughs) As a minister of God, it is my responsibility primarily to make you prepared to meet with the Lord. And there will be a lot of things in heaven that will make me happy. There will be a lot of things in, in heaven that, that will uh, fill me with joy, I'm sure. I long to meet those old saints. I long to, to be able to come alongside and worship with them. Maybe I, will, I, I have a, 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 a too low a view of heaven to think that I, I will even want to do that once I get there. One of the things that I want to see and one of the things that will fill me with joy is when I get to heaven to see the church which the Lord called me to minister there. Robed in the white robes of Christ and worship with you in heaven to make you prepared for that day. Forever united with the bridegroom himself, forever united with the son of righteousness that arose. What an honor to be an instrument in God's hands like that. But in order for you to be prepared, you need to realize that you are not to be 
like the people of, of, of uh, the people of Israel in the days of Malachi. They were not prepared. That was, that's why Malachi came and told them. They were not prepared. They were thinking that oh, it was a worthless thing to serve God. The question really of the book of Malachi, is it worthwhile to serve God, to worship God? And the only answer that can be said is that yes, it is worthwhile. But the reward, but the, 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 the recompense, but the, the blessing will not come in this world. Will not come to you now. Here in this world, we, you will be subject to all kinds of struggles. You will face tribulation. What did our Lord Jesus say? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Was he saying that you will have the reward in this world? No, he's saying the reward is in heaven. The only thing you're called to do now as as a disciple of Christ in this world is to live for Christ. Not to live for self. To live for Christ. And to trust that when you die... The gain will come. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In this world, yes, we will see the wicked prosper. We will see uh, the, the people who do evil not be punished. But that does not mean that God is unjust. That he does not repay evil. That he doesn't account these things. What it says is that the day of reckoning is coming. And every day that goes by, it's closer. Closer and closer. And yes, for the unbeliever, that is a a sentence, a a sword of Damocles hanging over his head. But for the believer, it is a day of glory. You're one step closer to home than you were yesterday. You're closer to home. As the fiery trials of life waste away in your body as your, uh, as your strength fades you're closer to home you're closer to that gain of heaven Don't ma- do not measure The love of God by what belongs to you in this world. Do not measure the love of God by what you own or what blessings you enjoy in this world because you're a pilgrim in this world. On the day of judgment, he will spare you. And God, God's full love unspeakable infinite love will be poured out on you in such a way that all the things of this world will pale in comparison do you know what it means to to for paul to say to live is christ and to die is gain to die is gain the greatest gain of life is to die i think of the greatest most happiest or the, the happiest day of your of my life Perhaps for most of us, believers here will be the day of our salvation. Unfortunately, I don't have a specific date that I, uh, that I can look back upon and say, that was the moment. It was much more of a sunrise kind of thing. Yeah. But I had moments in my life where I, I look back upon it and it's like, 
it was the perfect day. It was, it was a, a day that brings a, a smile to my face. For some of us who are parents, it's, it's the day uh, of your first child being born. I still remember when Sophia was born and, and how happy I was and how uh, filled with joy I was. Or the day of your uh, uh, wedding, the day of your uh, something. Think of the greatest, the most, the happiest day that you had in this life. I'll tell you this, in heaven, it will pale in comparison. When you are in heaven, if you're a believer, heaven will be gain over that day. It will be profit over that day. You're going to look back on that day and say, what a dark, dark day that was. Even the happiest day you had in this world. Why? Because heaven is true gain. Because heaven is true joy. Because heaven is where all Joy is found. Because heaven is when you will go out and leap for joy as fattened calves. It is the day when you will exult in the presence of God. What it means for us is that happiness is future. Happiness is not, is, can be enjoyed in the present. But true happiness, true blessedness is future. Brethren, let us look for that heavenly city. Let us look to that great day. Let us look to that great and glorious day of his coming. Is it worth worshiping God in difficult times? Is it worth it being fiery, red-hot Christian? Is it worth it in times of oppression and hardship? The answer is a resounding yes. It is always worth worshiping God, serving him with all our hearts because his love for us is measured by, by the deliverance he will give us, that he has given us, but that he will true, fully and completely and perfectly give us in heaven. For he has set us apart to live with him for eternity. May the Lord help us to do so and to worship him.